the lie that poetry tells is constant as the truth itself without the lies and the false beliefs where would we be where would we be welcome to the state of the theory podcast i'm hannah and i'm an india and we are your theory doctors Hello! Hey, we are back! Welcome back! Thanks for waiting for us. We've been away in the trenches. We've had a summer holiday. Uh, well, I say summer. It's been Britain, so... Yeah. It's been Scotland. It's been Scotland. But we've had a nice long rest, done lots of things with our lives, and now we are back to podcasting. We're back to podcasting. We are at the start of series two, season two, yes. to use the American yes. term. Did you ever believe we'd go into the second season? I know. I feel like, yeah, I thought maybe we'd keep going for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Some of our friends would would tell us to stop. How sweet, <laughs> how sweet it was, but that maybe we should keep our day jobs. Yeah. Um, but no, we've... Yeah. Um, it's been good, and thanks for bearing with us all this while, and hope to continue to speak to you for the rest of the season. So what are we talking about today? Today, today we are talking about um, British nationalism, which, interestingly enough, is what we were talking about at the end of our last season with Brexit, but this has nothing to do with Brexit. No. Um, and this is inspired a little bit, well, entirely by three um, news stories or kind of sets of news stories that have, have been popular in, in the UK at the moment um, around culture and, and sports. Um, and we decided to explore these kind of three areas of interest that the, the great British public has latched onto. Yeah, so the first one is uh, the great popular success that has been the TV programme, The Great British Bake Off, which, if you don't know, is a reality TV show centred around baking. In the United States, it is known as The British Baking Show. Yes, um, which, uh, over the last week or so, news has been trickling out, this used to be on the BBC and has just moved to Channel 4 uh, and in the process has lost uh, three of its four presenters. Uh, so the show will, will change quite a lot. We will explore the way the story has been reported and the ramifications thereof. The second is um, the great success um, or supposed success, according to the British media, of the... Um, Great British, um, Great Britain's Olympic team, um, particularly in a couple of areas. I think cycling this year is yes. is the most yes. um, celebrated. Has been the most celebrated, um, and um, the English football team. Yes, this is where things get a little bit dicey because, of course, British nationalism and English nationalism um, are entangled but not the same thing. No. 
Um, but the English football team um, occupies a complicated position um, in a sort of bigger pot of, mm. of great Britishness. Yeah. Um, uh, Scottish football fans might disagree. Would definitely not might would definitely <laughs> and Northern Ireland. Northern yeah. Ireland has a football team um, that achieved relatively great success this year as well. Completely as did separate. Wales. As did Wales. Even as did Gareth Bale. Yes. Um, even you know, completely separate and um, yes. counter to the English yes. football team. So the English football team story is the English football team manager a man called Sam Allardyce, had to resign after being in charge for precisely one game. 67 days. 67 days. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Which uh, And he had to resign because he was caught in a what's called a sting attack by uh, a newspaper journalist, the Telegraph journalist, who were pretending to offer him a deal uh, to arrange some kind of transfer of foreign players that would that would con- contravene existing transfer rules, um, and after that he had to resign. I uh, don't really know what any of those words mean, <laughs> but I know that it's it, people have thought that it was bad. Yes, um, and and basically all of these stories uh, are stories that chart changes, transformations in British institutions. Uh, as you said, Britain has been doing particularly well in cycling uh, off late. Uh, after the 2012 Olympics, uh, some Australian person was heard to remark that Britain does very well in sitting down sports, whether it's cycling or rowing or... or Horseback riding. The, the horse ballet is, 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 a, is a particular favourite. Um, so these things, some of whom which are very recent, you know, the British cycling success story is a recent story. The Great British Bake Off is a, is a relatively recent story. But in a short amount of time, these things have become apparently integral parts of the national story or national identity of what Britain likes to think of itself as, which is perhaps why the the changes to these institutions have been met with grief and general panic. Yes. Well, the British cycling, it's less about changes to the institution and yes. more about um, that um, endemic problem in cycling. I mean, I, th- I think... Not in British cycling. Cycling wouldn't, cycling wouldn't exist without doping, no. to be perfectly honest. But not British cycling, because no British athlete has apparently ever doped. No, and of course, um, you know, and this is why it's, it's, it's um, so strange mm. that British cyclists have been linked to to um, kind of of hints at possi- not not doping mm. but you know the use of substances which yes. are at times banned mm. and 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 there is a kind of um, um, distaste mm. in certainly in the British media for mm. linking um, cyclists names you know these beloved, heroes of British cycling to the term doping, um, which I, I find really fascinating. And, um, I mean, I have, I have very little kind of interest in sports, which I think will come out later in this podcast. Um, I guess, I mean, we sh- should we start with 
Bacon. With Bake Off. Yes. Yeah. What is what? What is the, the? If you haven't seen the Great British Bake Off, you should. It's it's a lot of fun. It's a delight. It's it's a uh, it's a they they do it in series. It's a, a reality TV show, as I said. It's competitive baking, which is perhaps one of the best sports ever ever devised. And every week there's a different theme that they have to follow. And every week the the weakest baker is is eliminated until and they're amateur bakers. They're amateur bakers and until until at the end you have the the person who's the best at the end who becomes the Great British Bake Off champion. Um, it 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 couldn't be more British if it tried. Uh, it has you know the the recipes it uses is often sort of classic British recipes. Uh, the 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 presenters are are famously uh, British. Beloved British figures, uh, people like Mary Berry. Uh, uh, Mary Berry, who I learned, I learned today while reading, um, what was it, Stuart Lee's article in the Guardian about this particular um, news around Great British Bake Off. Mary Berry changed her last name in the nineteen seventies. Her last name is not Berry. She changed her name to Berry in a. Uh, move of towards self-promotion um it was successful of course um but yes yes mary berry a, a, an institution um so this this show has been going on for seven years i think yes. the seventh eighth series going on now and after being on the bbc for seven years uh the production company that produces this show has just sold the rights to channel four instead so from next year onwards, it will no longer be on the BBC. It will now be on Channel 4. Um, Channel 4 needs a little bit of explaining. Uh, do you want to tell our listeners what Channel 4 is? Yeah, so in in the UK, the BBC is the kind of um, the beating heart of British media. Um, radio, TV, um, until quite recently, film, um and the BBC is funded mostly by the taxpayer in the form of a TV license. In the UK, um, if you're in the United States, this will seem really bizarre to you. But if you live in the UK and you watch television, um, you have to pay an extra yearly, it's an annual fee, and that goes to funding the BBC. And the BBC is is a a robust, I would say, um, national media company. And they operate, they have, what, five TV channels now? Four. Four TV channels? Four TV channels, and then they, ha- they have the regional variations. So there's BBC Scotland and BBC Wales, and, you know. Yes. They, they produce local news and national news. They um, produce multi-language They produce multi-language content. stuff. And they, they have done for many, many years, so... Uh, throughout m- much of the 60s, 70s, and into the 80s, BBC uh, produced, uh, on, on its mainstream flagship channels, produced Hindi-language shows for for the uh, British-Asian communities. Uh, now it has evolved into the BBC Asian network. Uh, it has radio stations, multiple radio stations. Um, it does, it produces its own content, uh, it obviously buys in a lot of content. Uh, uh, they contract big name celebrities. Yes, 
it pretty and it, it has the whole it runs the whole gamut from uh, popular lowbrow, you know, Saturday evening entertainment TV through to major classical music festivals and theater and you know high art. Yeah, and they um, so that and everyone kind of knows the BBC. Mm. Channel Four is a more recent invention. I think it's nineteen eighties. Channel 4 was founded, and Channel 4 also is owned by the British government. The BBC and Channel 4 are both run out of the Department for Communications and Media and Entertainment and Sports and things. I can't remember what it's called. Um, But they are both managed by the British government. Channel 4, however, is funded by advertising revenue. And so you watch a Channel 4 show, and you watch commercials. Um, I, I think for, for American listeners, this will be such a foreign concept, watching TV without ads, that it, it's unimaginable. Um, but it is, in fact, how British people prefer their television, ad-free. Um, I, I, can, I can get on board with that, to be honest. It's, it's quite great. British people will often cite as being the most amazing thing about the BBC is the lack of ads. Um, so when it when the news broke that Great British Bake Off was moving to Channel 4, one of the first things British audiences started to moan about was the fact that Bake Off was now going to be subject to ads and that was going to ruin it. Um, or it was just going to ruin the viewing experience. It's it's unclear exactly, but there was a lot of anger in the... Basically, the knee-jerk, knee-jerk reaction was, oh no, I'm going to have to watch ads with my Bake Off. Yeah. Um, which is fair enough. Mm. Um, Channel 4 also, I think more interestingly though, for our purposes, Channel 4 is known for its supposed kind of low-brow low-class taste. Channel 4, um, we have Channel 4 to thank for Big Brother, Mm. for example. Um, We also have Channel 4 to thank for shows, reality television like Come Dine With Me, um, Sun, Sex, and Suspicious Parents, where Mm. um, British parents um, follow their children off on these sort of teenage, raucous, drunken holidays. To Mallorca and this sort of trashy TV. It should be said though that Channel 4's origins were, were very different. So Channel 4's origins were edgy programming, experimental programming. That um, risks that Chan- Channel 4 was established in order to take risks in in, in broadcasting. And Channel that, 4 still yeah. does that yes. in terms of Film 4. Yes. So Channel 4 is also connected to Film 4, mm. um, which is a film production yeah. company. Mm. And Film 4 still does. Mm produce some of the best British film. And the BBC Film Council also was part of... They were, they were part of mm. this kind of arena um, producing British entertainment. Mm. Um, and I think Film 4 still does that. Mm. Channel 4... Maybe less so. Maybe less so. Mm. Um, but the, the company does still produce... Yeah. Some fascinating content. Um, it it's odd though because 
You are you have strong feelings. I I, I so so I am a big um, what's the word uh, proponent of the BBC. I I, I I recognize it has many issues, and I certainly don't share its its political positions more often than not. But I think the BBC has a unique position in terms of what it does, how it is structured and how it is funded. And because the BBC is funded entirely through the licence fee, uh, not entirely through the licence fee, but principally through the licence fee, um, the BBC's resources are much more strained compared to many of the other organisations like Channel 4, like ITV, uh, like Sky, that BBC is competing against. Um, and the BBC has pressures on it that are unique as well. So there has been repeated calls and it is it is almost certainly going to happen uh, uh, very soon, if it, if it hasn't happened already, that the BBC will be asked to publicly reveal uh, who its high, highest paid stars are and how much they're paid. Something which, of course, no commercial media company would ever be asked to do. Um, so the BBC, on the one hand, has to be seen as representing the nation and all that is good about the nation and taking on broadcasting duties that other independent commercial broadcasters wouldn't necessarily have to do, while on the other hand having to compete with those same uh, commercial broadcasters for ratings. And that is uh, a difficult, uh, one might almost say impossible job that the BBC has got, which results in multiple moments, and for me the Great British Bake Off is one of those, of examples where the BBC has taken a punt, one might say, you know, taken a gamble, put in a certain amount of investment for an idea that may or may not have succeeded. And having invested in it for seven years, now that it has succeeded to a point where it is, you know, a sort of broadcasting giant, it's a phenomenon that the BBC might possibly use to recoup some of its investment and, and monetize and benefit from. At that point, it, it moves to a, a more commercial uh, station, Channel 4. Now, I, I accept Channel 4 is public broadcasting in the same way BBC is, and it is not the same. This move is not the same as it would be if it was moving to ITV or Sky, which are more explicit, more overt, independent commercial broadcasters. But I just feel sorry for the BBC in all of this. I mean, it makes sense, right? Because the BBC, not unlike our heroes, our cycling heroes, Laura Trott and Bradley Wiggins and I don't know who the other one, Chris Froome. That's yes. about as much as I know. That is my cycling knowledge. Um you know, the BBC and, and its stars as well, mm. Mary Berry and mm. and Mel and Sue, you know, they are they are seen to be above, beyond, exempt from the the kind of dirty and and um and sleazy, you know, 
rules of the market. Consumerism. Well, they, they shouldn't be. Sh- they shouldn't be subject to the yes. market because yes. once you, um, once you become a commodity, hmm. you are impure. You're tainted. You're no longer this paragon of Britishness. Yes. This kind of and and this is fundamentally classist yes. to me. This is you know the Great British Bake Off exemplifies this aspiration, this mm. will to British middle-classness. Yes. We've talked about class before and how, how the British middle-class is not equivalent to the mm. American middle-class. Um, so I won't repeat that. But um, there's a particular essence um, to British middle-classness that is typified by the Great British Bake Off and the BBC. They they are a package, really. Mm. Um and the BBC is better than, it's perceived to be better than, to be um, above the dirty rules of the market. Um, and, and I think a lot of people felt betrayed mm. by Bake Off, or by what, they're not sure exactly yeah. what, what betrayed them yeah. in this instance. Mm. You know, is it the, the people who own, who owns Great British Bake Off, really, you know, um, and it, it's hard to describe, to articulate um, specifically what it is about Bake Off that is this perfect Britishness, um, because there are internal contradictions to it. Um, so, for example, the Daily Mail and, and um, Stuart Lee wrote amazingly about this in the Guardian. Um, the Daily Mail. When Nadia Hussein won Bake Off last year, Nadia was obviously a, a fan favorite. People loved her. People love everyone on the on the, the Great British Bake Off because they're delightful people. Nadia is a Muslim woman, hijabi. Um, she her family is adorable. She's very talented, but she also has a, a bit of an edgy streak. Um, she's a bit snarky, but really kind. Um, her sense of humor is lovely, right? She's this. She's this. This kind of model minority. Mm-hmm. This picture of British multiculturalism. Um, and she, she was asked to bake the cake for the Queen's birthday after she she won Bake Off, and yes, this was this moment of you know British inclusive nationalism. Yes, yeah. one of the one of her her cakes that she made. She made a, a wedding cake, and yeah. she made. She said this was the wedding cake she would have loved to have had mm-hmm. um, at her wedding, mm-hmm. and she included. Um, pieces of her sari in the decorations Mm -hmm. and she made it red white and blue the colors of the union jack and it was a classic british Mm -hmm. cake and it was Mm this this i mean it you couldn't have written like the bbc couldn't have asked for anything better from her i mean she 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 produced the most perfect um ideal Mm -hmm. british ideal of multiculturalism and inclusivity in post-colonial britain and the Daily Mail, in true male fashion, um, freaked out mm. because um, when Nadia did well and Tamal, another South Asian baker on the show, also gay yes. um, and a doctor, a, a young South Asian gay professional, um, were, were succeeding on Bake Off. Um, the Daily Mail saw the ousting, this terrible um, rejection of a young white British student, mm. um, as just this this 
PC gone mad um, kind of activity. And it was it was this, the Daily Mail attacked Great British Bake Off for for its, its overt embracing of PC values mm. and how it, it, it was anti-British. Mm. Um, and last week when it was announced that the Great British Bake Off was moving to Channel 4, the Daily Mail announced this as the destruction of a British institution. Yeah. Um, and so it, Bake Off is both things at once. Yes. Um, and typifies the this um, this internal contradiction mm. within British middle class discourse, the mm. ideals of the British middle class, um, which are both multicultural and diverse, and Islamophobic and racist and homophobic. And this, to me, I mean, I mean, I read about all of this, and I read about cycling at the same time, mm. and it just seemed like it was exactly the same thing. Mm. It was this. Um, this crisis, this discursive crisis in in the media about Britishness. Yes, uh, it's it, and and the the England football manager story latches onto that as well. Where, as as we said, Sam Allardyce, newly appointed England manager, has to resign, having been sort of compromised in a sort of shady financial deal. Though, as far as we can tell, he he. He came close to, but didn't actually break any specific uh, law. He spoke about how he could, you know, he could use his position to to get by, get round certain legal loopholes uh, to do with to do with the transfer market. And can the, you explain that just just out of interest, because I have no idea what that means. Uh, uh, so there are certain rules about how foreign players can be brought into the country and how they can be represented and how. Uh, they can, you can get work permits to to play for certain clubs, uh, and Sam Allardyce apparently, allegedly, uh, said that he could negotiate deals where these rules could be bypassed. I don't know any any more specific like than that. With the Home Office, yes. Okay. Perhaps, or or certainly with the financial regulations that govern govern the the, the major football clubs. Yes. Okay. Uh, but I mean, even in the media, even those who, who those voices which were either calling for his resignation or writing in support of his resignation uh, were saying things like he was naive and cheapened the position of the England football manager. So the idea is that England football manager should be above petty, shady, sleazy commercial deals because England, by extension, Britain is bigger and better than that. And the English-British football manager should be someone who is in the game purely for the honour of being England football manager. Um, this this debate is not entirely unrelated to the, the debate that comes around every time a new England football manager has to be appointed, which is should the, should the England football manager be English or foreign? Uh, in the past, England has appointed two foreigners uh, to that position, uh, a, a Swede and an Italian, and Sven-Jeroen Eriksson and Fabio Capello, and it hasn't brought them huge amounts of success. Um, I've even heard people say, like, you know, we tried foreigners and that didn't work out, so now we should try Englishmen. <laughs> um, but the, the apart from a straight-up racism which is, and xenophobia, which is there, 
there is also a sense that if you appoint a foreign manager, then that foreign manager is only going to be interested in the job because it's a job and they will be paid for it. Uh, whereas if you appoint an English person to be the England football manager, then that person would be doing it for the honour of representing the country and for them money would be secondary. And I think what has offended, annoyed, angered uh, many people about the Sam Holliday's case is that it was obvious that he found money to be a motivating factor when his position would imply that he should be above that. Yes. This is quite quite a British thing as well. The um, discussions about money and money generally. Which, which, um, is, which is also what cheapens Great British Bake Off, right? Because yes. uh, the BBC offered, according to reports, the BBC offered £15 million and the production company wouldn't accept anything less than £25 million. And those figures were bandied about quite a lot. Uh, and the the um, general consensus seemed to be that the production company was being too greedy uh, and were were happy to sell off what should be a national institution um, because all they wanted was, was money. Yes. I find it interesting mm. how much um, a paper like the Daily Mail cares about Great British Bake Off as a national institution... Um, but are happy to let the NHS go. Yeah, actually, the NHS is an interesting com- comparison because the the response to the the British response to the selling off of the Great British Bake Off reminds me a little bit of the American EpiPen story. Mm, yes. yes, when when EpiPen, the company that produces EpiPen, tripled its yes. price, and then and before that, the AIDS medication that, the AIDS in Martin Australian. Yes, uh, and of course, these two. There's no way these two should be compared, right? It's it's life-saving medication on, on the one hand and a TV program on the other. A TV program about cake. About cake. Um, but there is, um, there is something worryingly similar about, uh, about the way the stories were received. And yes, the discourse around them, yeah. um, that it's, Bake Off is better than money. The yeah. value of Bake Off is is more than than money. Yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, there's also another aspect. I mean, there, there is a sort of classic Marie Antoinette let them eat cake yeah. uh, aspect to this, which is, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a convenient story behind which all sorts of other things from, you know, the Labour Party's election, leadership election, through to Brexit negotiations, all of this, uh, government disasters, government shambles, policy and grammar schools, all of this could be hidden. Uh, all of the, these fears and consternations that the that the public should be experiencing, you know, there are many scary things happening in the world. All of that could be masked under this massive cake. Yes. Beautiful cake. Similar, it's similar to the Olympics. Yeah. Um, and of course the, the British teams I think did better than expected generally speaking yes. but the some of some of the the great British heroes didn't do as well mm. as people were hoping mm. um, 
and the cyclists generally did very well. Mm. Um, and doping is always, I mean, it, we could do a whole series on doping in sports, mm. um, which we might at some point in the future. Um, uh, doping was a huge part of the discourse in this year's Olympics, I think. Um, partly because of timing, um, the Russian athletics, um, and and banning all of them together, banning an entire national team. And the, the, the xenophobia around things like doping is really fascinating, about how, you know, and you, you get that with, with, you know, some, even, the, even though the allegations about British cyclists are very vague, there is this, often explicit thing of, you know, those foreign athletes might consider doping, but this is not a British problem. British athletes never dope. Yes. And it's interesting too, um, in, it, people care about doping in the United States as well. Mm. Um, and that there's American instances of racism as well, which we could talk about mm. um, around different kinds of athletes, mm -hmm. right, in, in the United States, to use a very crude way of describing it. Um, African-American athletes um, versus white athletes and doping scandals. Mm. And, um, you know, this is a, it's a big, big topic. Mm. What's interesting at the moment, I think, are two, two things going on in British cycling at the moment. Um, Laura Trott and Jason, Jason Kenny getting married. Yeah. Um, the Daily Mail has been obsessed with those mm. pictures. Um, perfect great British wedding photographs right that long white dress it, and it was it, beautiful it was, golden pair it was very kindly favorably commented on that they refused to sell their wedding to any particular magazine so they didn't they were offered huge amounts of money yes by you know hello or, or okay or whatever one yes. of these magazines and one of the things that speak to their great Britishness was the fact that they refused to sell yes and they got married secretly yeah they announced after that yes. they had gotten married, yes. um, that they were above, mm. the, um, of the commercialization, commercializing yes. their relationship. Mm. Yes. Um, people find that both romantic mm. and British. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, we should, we should make it clear that we are not criticizing them. No, no, I'm, well, I'm yeah. all for it. Yes. It's just, we are interested in the linking that with the Britishness. Yes. The fact That's that it's been commented on yes. and reported. Yeah very heavily yeah. is what we're interested yeah. in. Mm. Um, by all means, keep your personal life yes. private. Yes. You know, yes. celebrities keep doing mm. that. Um, but it is fascinating how much the Daily Mail has, has made of that mm. when in fact they basically make all of their money mm. by denying mm. famous people mm. and like pre-famous people and semi-famous people mm. privacy. Yes. Um, that's the, their whole reason for existence. Yeah. Um, and yeah. sorry, go on. No, you. No, no it's it's the 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 moments when you know you, we mentioned Nadia before the 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 moments when the the right wing media suddenly find themselves caught in a dilemma as to how to deal with this new figure of British nationalism is fascinating, uh, and in this context, I'm thinking of more Farah. Mm, yes, uh, you know another successful British Muslim in his case of Somali origin. He was uh, a refugee, yes. right? And, um, you know, phenomenally successful, like historically successful middle and long distance runner. Um, 
and you know a, another very popular very well loved figure and it is really really heartening in the current political climate to see these well loved uh obviously visibly muslim figures who are successful and their faith and their religious identity is becomes part of their success story but i was just thinking while we were talking about doping if it ever emerged that mofarah's record was suspect in any way the media backlash would be so pointed and so restinged yes it would be i mean even so the media has trouble dealing with the kind of the everyday aspects of being an athlete mm. um, i mean it's a really globalized profession right i mean the the british media really struggles with the fact that andy murray doesn't live and train in britain and they really struggle with the fact that mo farah has spent a lot of time abroad i mean he was in um the united states you and know the, training and working and, and, with the coach who who had there was there were questions there were allegations about that coach i can't remember the his team, name yeah, the team yeah the whole the whole mm. kind of set i mean they are little um basically little companies yes. mm. that train people it's mm. swimming is the same i mean yeah. this is how it, it it is how it works um and the the kind of everyday aspects of being mm. an athlete like mm. as a as a job yeah. doesn't match up with with the celebrity aspect of it and and in Britain in particular the kind of role model mm. the embodiment mm. of nationhood yes. um versus you go where the good coach is and yeah, if and that good coach you, is in Florida you and, and you 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 know you certainly with cycling you sign up for the team that pays you more and that gives you more support and the team that will help and you the team that, that win you win and you you see this most obviously in football where um you know even club loyalty let alone national loyalty yes. is somehow seen to be superior so uh, a foot, a a famous footballer who leaves one club and joins another is spoken of as a traitor in the US it's very very similar yeah. um um i'm thinking of lebron yeah. james or um who else i mean they when you, when you move it's a betrayal yeah and when you think like you know you 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 might think about i don't know a uh, a senior executive moving from google to microsoft or whatever and and this is no different but it has to be different because sport and in this case tv as well uh becomes part of a kind of collective identity whether it's surrounding a club or even more specifically and and pointedly surrounding a nation. It's ironic too. I mean there's a question of ownership here. Mm. Um and with with sports and athletes it's a question of ownership of of the people themselves. Um the the fact that, you know, British consumers think and believe, you know, rightly or wrongly, I don't know that um to a certain extent their athletes belong to them. Well, to to a certain extent they are publicly funded. Yes. You know, so so part of the reason why Britain has been doing so well in recent in recent Olympics is that UK sport has used a lot of lottery funding which is public funding um in order to push certain sports and those sports are doing better because the investment is coming through. But again, not unlike BBC and and the t- the world of the TV, you have this blurring of 
public funding and private funding. And it is never really clear where the ownership rests. But it's it's not just ownership in terms of publicly funded, like yeah. taxpayer funded yeah. money. It's yeah. not it goes beyond that, this yeah. the idea of yeah. ownership. It's almost familial yeah. in a sense. It's yes. almost like we don't own them because we pay for them. Yes. We own them because they are ours. Like yeah. we have a claim to them that goes yeah. beyond paying their salaries. Well, it, it's it's fascinating you say that because I think it's uh, you're completely right, but also the the familial ownership uh, sort of somehow trumps the financial ownership. Yes. To the point where it becomes easier to take public resources and divert them into the private sector. Yes. Because nobody cares about the fact that these TV shows or these athletes are surviving through public funding as long as they continue to claim to represent the nation and display due allegiance to the nation, then it's all fine. And as long as they're grateful. Yes. Grateful, Mm. not just for the money, but for the love and appreciation. And it's, it's interesting because the, the Britishness that, Mm. that is on display Mm. is an export. Yeah. So, Great British Bake Off, but also, I mean, beyond Great British Bake Off, BBC shows have been exported to the United States for a long time. Yeah. Doctor Who, Downton I mean, Abbey, Sherlock. Mm, yes, more recently, Sherlock yeah. and Downton Abbey, and um, I mean, even even the kind of panel shows like QI yeah. have a following yeah. outside of the outside of the UK, yeah. and there is, um, it, it is very clear yeah. what picture of Britishness is being exported. You know... Harry Potter. Harry Potter, Mm. the royal family, Mm. um, you know, Americans were all over that royal wedding. They love the royal babies. I'm I'm revealing my age here, but I'm growing up in India, pretty much some of the most popular children's books around were Enid Blyton. Mm. And Enid Blyton, if you've read any of her books, constructs a, a very specific British identity. You know, British childhood growing up in, you know, the 50s Britain or whatever, um, sort of, you know, ginger beer and iced teas and, 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 and so on, which is not unlike the Great British Bake Off version. Of yeah, Christmas. no, and it's exactly, there's a particular um, image of Britain that is being sold abroad, and that is something that I think a lot of British people who know about it because a lot of people don't, um, and might have convoluted feelings about it. Um, but they're often quite proud of that. Um, certainly people who are supportive of and, and appreciate the monarchy in Britain like the fact that others around the world also like the monarchy in Britain. Um, there's a, there's a you know, sort of affirmation in that. But then once you... It's a double-edged sword, right? Because then once you've commodified this Britishness, you've sold it, to be consumed by, mm. you know, those dirty, evil Americans who are exporting, mm. you know, terrible culture back here. Mm. Um, you know, that's the narrative, mm-hmm. right? Then you've commodified Britishness mm. and you've made it something that is other than British. Mm. It is no longer what it was. So its success is also mm. its its destruction, Um and I just find that so British. <laughs> I just find it mm. 
to be part of the wonderful world of living in the UK. Yeah. Is that all we have to say? I think so. I yeah. I think we've covered everything. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Yes. Let us know, either way. And also, you know, what's your favorite episode of The Great British Bake Off? Yeah. I know my favorite. Which one's your favorite? Um, I really love, well, I loved the series with um, Ruby and Frances mm. and Kimberly. Mm. And I loved how they, the three of them ended up mm. in the finale together. Um, but I basically loved anything that Ruby mm. baked. Mm. I would eat any of that. Mm. There was a whole other, there was another moment which we didn't even come to where another moment where the Daily Mail suddenly got confused about how best to deal with Great British Bake Off as a British institution and that was when Ruby came out. Yes! Um, where suddenly they're like, uh, this person did well in, in Great British Bake Off, they, they're young, they're good looking and they were fitting this perfect model of multicultural British life. And suddenly they have the audacity to come out as gay. She um, also, Ruby was interesting yeah. too because she was so young. Mm. She was a philosophy undergraduate student at the time. Um, she was studying for her exams. Right, This mm. was all part of mm. her story. Mm. And she would cry all the time. Mm. She would just, whether or not she was sad, it was just mm. that was her emotional mm. response. And mm. so she was always crying on this show and everyone was making fun of her and being really mean about her on the internet, yeah. obviously. And people would, saw this as... Um, her getting attention from Paul Hollywood. Yes. And there was this weird, seedy, like, yeah. tabloid-type mm. speculation about mm. her and Paul Hollywood. And when she comes out, mm. all of that is, is, yes. is you know, no longer fodder yes. for the internet. Yes. Yes. And then the, the internet and, and, you know, right-wing media suddenly are, are faced with a product that has changed in front of them and they, they don't know what to do with this product because that's what she was for them. She's yes. the products. She's really interesting. Do mm. you follow her on Twitter? No. She is doing a really she does she actually mm. writes for mm. um Vice now and she does I mean she does yeah. tons of things. Yeah. Um and she is doing a whole series on like fast food and food mm. that's considered to be unhealthy mm. and the concept of clean yeah. eating mm. and um and really challenging mm, assumptions mm, mm. about food mm. and how they relate to eating disorders mm. and healthy eating. Mm. Um, which, you know, is Bake Off going to continue to produce people like this? Mm. At Channel 4? Mm. Maybe. Maybe. A uh, quick shout out to our previous episode where we did uh, the sugar tax. Yes. Um, our UK budget special uh, where we discussed the economics and class aspect of healthy eating. Anyway, um, that ended on a rambling note, but hope you enjoyed it. Um, let us know. If you if you get us on iTunes, then rate or review us. It helps other people find the podcast. And, um, yeah, keep in touch and see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick. And I have been Anindya Richardry. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz. And me at Dr. Anindya R. Our music was provided by the Agrarians, and this has been State of the Theory. Thank you. Well.